Man, we're busy, we're tired, we're burned out, we're wore out, right? And Kathy has been a recent kind of participant of understanding the Sabbath. She mentioned a book called The Rest of God, and we have a Thursday night a city group that's taking place. Kathy and I are leading this together. This is kind of our resource along, of course, with the scriptures. And I wanted to read, uh, and even if you can't make the, uh, the book study, um, we have these for sale if you'd like to take one home with you today. But I wanted to give you a quote from the book, um, page 47. This is what Mr. Buchanan writes. He says, I have visited the large office of wealthy donors, the crowded rooms of social service agencies, and the small houses of the poorest families. Remarkably, within this mosaic, there is a universal refrain, I am so busy. It doesn't seem to matter if the people I speak with are doctors or daycare workers, shopkeepers or social workers, parents or teachers, nurses or lawyers, students or therapists, community activists or cooks. Whether they are Hispanic or Native American, Caucasian or black, the more their lives speed up, the more they feel hurt, frightened, and isolated. Despite their good hearts and equally good intentions, their work in the world rarely feels light, pleasant, or healing. Instead, as it all piles endlessly upon itself, the whole experience of being alive begins to melt into one enormous obligation. It becomes the standard greeting everywhere. I am so busy. Man, if you are in that place today, if you are busy, if you are tired, I am so glad that you're here today because we're going to talk about uh, the rhythms of rest. Last week, I kicked off the series with a message called The Priority of Rest. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to it. There's absolutely no way to combine all of these teachings into Sabbath into one little segment that we can... It's like drinking from a fire hose, right? But last week, I kind of used the Ten Commandments, and I talked about how Keeping the Sabbath, or it's actually said, remember the Sabbath, I think because God knew we, were for, we, we would forget it. It's number four on the list of Ten Commandments. It made God's top ten. And most of us don't even realize that. I, I, I talked about how if I were to break the Ten Commandments here publicly, you guys would have a problem with that. For example, if I were to set a graven image, even of Jesus, let's say it's a picture of what I think Jesus looks like, and I were to say, hey, we're going to start worshiping this as we worship songs, some of you would be like, man, that doesn't feel right, Matt. Like, I don't think we should do that. Or if I were to say the First Commandment, hey, guys, today I want to talk about a lot of different gods. They're all equal with the God we serve. And you guys would be like, I ain't going to church here, right? What if I started killing people? Like right now, right? Somebody's going to put their arm around me and say, man, you shouldn't do that. Murdering is bad. It's not a good look for you, Pastor. It's a really bad look, right? No one would continue to this church if you guys knew or thought I knew or if I had or you even thought I had committed adultery. That would be a huge issue. be an issue for me, right? I'd lose my position. If I was actively stealing things, right? You would, well, I can't, how do you feel that that's okay to steal? Like, we would, like I could break every one of the commandments, and you guys would have a problem with me doing that right here, but no one in my entire life has ever pulled me aside and said, hey, Matt, I noticed that you worked on Saturday, and I, got a, I need to talk to you about that. No one's ever held me accountable to that, and probably no one's ever held you accountable to that, and somehow we obey the nine commandments, or at least we try to, and we forget that there was actually ten of them. But today we're going to continue that thought, and we're going to talk about the rhythm And I thought I'd have the band help me uh, with this idea of rhythm so that you could hear what rhythm sounds like and what rhythm doesn't sound like. How many of you would self-diagnose yourself that you have no ear for music? You have no ear. Like, you don't know if it's good or bad, right? It's just like for you, like, all this type of, all country music is bad. But I disagree, but you might think that, right? Well, even if you don't have an ear for music, you can tell, I'm guessing, when something's out of rhythm. So we're going to do, do a song that you guys mostly know called Good, Good Father, and we're going to do it the right way first, all right? So you can get a feel of how the song's supposed to feel. So band, Good, Good Father, right way first. You're a good, good father to you are, to you are. 
pretty. Wasn't it pretty and in rhythm? It just sounded so, so good. But what if it was out of rhythm, right? Like, let's just see if this feels any different to you. Take it away, guys. You're a good, good Which one did you like better, one or two? One, right? When something's in rhythm, it just sounds so much better. Now, do we have the secret for them, D? Do we have that uh, that we can let them hear? See, they have a tool that you don't have. Who's heard of a metronome? Well, cool people in the band call it a click track, all right? So they have a click track back here, and it's in all of their ears, right? And so this is what they all listen to that's allowed to keep all of these musicians on the same timing and the same rhythm. And so I'm going to ask them to do this song again. You can hear the click track. We're going to keep it up loud. And notice how this helps them stay in rhythm. Take it away the good way. You're a good, good Sabbath is our click track. Sabbath is what can has the opportunity to keep you in the rhythm as you go about your busy, busy life. Thank you, band, for helping us understand that a little bit better, right? All right. So you have the opportunity to acknowledge this click track that God gives us where he says, once a week, I want you to stop working and I want you to simply acknowledge me, relationship and rest relationship and rest. Let's get into this rhythm. Now, Jesus is the one who sets our pacing. Jesus is the one who sets our timing. So let's look to the scriptures to see how Jesus lived a life of rhythm. Let's go to Matthew 11 first, verse 28 through 30. All right. This is a kind of a famous scripture. If you're uh, not usually in church, this is a very well-known passage where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, who are out of rhythm, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if you are tired, if you are feeling a little bit burned out, exhausted, wore out, the tendency is to catch up. The tendency is is to lean in and maybe give some extra hours, give some more time so you can catch up. But Jesus says the opposite. Come to me. And take on my yoke. Take a day off. Stop. You ain't that good. You ain't that big. You ain't that much in control. Come and learn from me. Learn my rhythm. See, Jesus observed the Sabbath. Notice Luke 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his what? Come on. Was his what? His custom. What he usually did, what he always did, as his custom. If you wanted to know where Jesus was on Saturday, go to the synagogue. That's where he was. He was there. And he said he stood up to read. And that's where someone hands him the, the, the reading for the day, which was Isaiah. He didn't ask for Isaiah. That was the planned reading for the day. And he, he begins to fulfill that passage. And the spiritual leaders kind of lose their mind that he kind of takes that upon himself. Jesus was so committed to the Sabbath that he was crucified on a Friday. 
He didn't move a muscle on Saturday. Thank you, Carrie. Not till Resurrection Sunday morning did he begin to move. He was that committed to not working on the Sabbath, man. I want to give you five Sabbath encounters. If you were to uh, go home today and begin to study through your scriptures on what does the Bible say about Sabbath, specifically New Testament, if you were to Google Jesus and the Sabbath, you would notice five encounters. To the best of my knowledge, I didn't leave one out. I didn't make one into one. I just kind of took uh, that, that research, that study time, and put it together. This would be a great, like if you're like, I don't know what to read during the day, I don't know what to read this week, this would be a great five-day devotion for you on the five encounters that we see Jesus on the Sabbath, on how he set a rhythm for us. Let's start in John chapter 9, verse 13. It says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. So there was someone in this story, I'm only giving you a snippet of it, right? But in this story, somebody has been healed of their blindness. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born who had who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. And when you read the story, it's kind of comical, because they're like, well, what did this man look like? I was blind. (laughs) I don't know what he looked like, right? Because Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts him on his eyes, and sends him to a, uh, to a, a water source that's called scent. And the guy goes there, and he washes the mud off his eyes, and he has sight. And... Man, they can't, they can't reconcile it because it happened on a Saturday, on the Sabbath. And so there's a, it's an interesting thing. And they keep saying, well, what, what happened? They bring his parents in. Tell us, what is this your kid? Yeah, it's our kid. Well, was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. Can he see now? Well, apparently. But they keep pressing into the parents. And the parents are like, listen, he's an adult. He can speak for himself because they had fear that they were going to get kicked out of temple. They were going to lose a lot of their privileges and rights there. So they bring the guy in, and they keep asking him, how did this happen? How did this happen? And he keeps telling them. And then he finally says, why do you guys keep asking me? Do you want to become his disciples too? In which they really get mad. And it's an interesting story. Read it. But here's a guy who was blind, and on the Sabbath, Jesus healed him. What about Luke chapter 6, verse 1? Jesus was going through the grain fields on a Sabbath. And his disciples picked some heads of wheat, rubbed them in their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is against the law on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They were hungry. They're walking through a field and they're hungry. How he entered the house of God, took and ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for any to eat but the priest alone, and gave it to his companions. He said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Sometimes as we read the scriptures, we get confused and we, we begin to separate the fact from that God the Son and Jesus and God the Father, like they're two separate completely separate people. But Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The two things are the same thing. And I think the reason Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, it's another way of saying, I'm the boss of the Sabbath. I'm the leader of the Sabbath. Guys, I'm the one who created Sabbath. I'm the one who told you about Sabbath. Don't try to tell me what Sabbath is. I'm the one who made it. These guys are with me. They're hungry. They ate with me. It's all good. I've got this. We're walking through a field. We're hungry. You want, you want, you want, do you not want me to eat on the Sabbath? Do you expect them not to eat on the Sabbath? Continuing, Luke chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man who was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. 
Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath. Luke 14, 1 through 6. Now one Sabbath, when Jesus went to dine at the house of a leader of the Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There right in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy was a disease where your body, your legs specifically, might swell. Very painful, really tight kind of skin, and very painful to walk and to touch. So Jesus asked the experts in religious law and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So Jesus took hold of the man, he healed him, and sent him away. Then he said to them, Which of you, if you have a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? But they could not reply to this. You may be like, Why, why was a man with dropsy at this high-level meeting with Pharisees and the religious elite? They had these big community kind of meals that were kind of open, and that man was there expecting to get some scraps, get the leftovers, get the box to take home. John 5, 6-9. When Jesus saw him lying there, and when he realized that the man had been disabled a long time already, he said to him, Do you want to become well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. Uh, Hit pause real quick. There was a pool there that a lot of sick people would gather around. And there was this mythology, this story that an angel would come down and dip his finger into the pool, and it would get all stirred up, and the first one in would get healed. And so it's like if CVS has one flu shot left, right? Or it's that Black Friday sale and they got one 60-inch TV. That you, right, we're just, there's Russian in to get this, get healed. And the man is saying, I can never get there in time because somebody always gets there before me. Continuing back to the scripture. While I am trying to get into the water, someone else goes down there before me. Jesus said to him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately the man was healed, and he picked up his mat and started walking. Now that day was a Sabbath. Now the Pharisees weren't there to see that. When you're reading the story this week on your own, what you will read is that the, Pharisee, the, the Pharisees see this man walking, carrying his mat, and they lose their mind. You're not supposed to be doing that. Well, Jesus, I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do. He told me to stand, pick up my mat, and walk, and that's what he did, and it has created all sorts of trouble, right? Now, I want to kind of do a little spin on you here. Because a lot of times when we read these stories, our focus has been completely on Jesus. We've been focused on what Jesus has done on the Sabbath in each of those stories. Every, every story when we read, and we need to, we need to understand what Jesus did and why he did it and how we might follow his example. But what I want you to do today is I invite you just to kind of shift your thinking and not focus on Jesus, but yet rather focus on the one who was blessed. Focus on the person who went to something on a Saturday that Jesus happened to be in the same room and how it forever changed their life. Think of the person who's blind that all of a sudden after a Sabbath with a Jesus can see. Think of the disciples who were hungry on Sabbath, who were allowed to eat without guilt. Think of the person with dropsy who walked away painless the shriveled hand that now works, and the man who was able to actually stand and work, walk and possibly work. I want you to fill in this in your insert, if you will. On the Sabbath, Jesus gave a blind man sight. On the Sabbath, Jesus ate with his disciples. 
On the Sabbath, Jesus restored a shriveled hand. On the Sabbath, Jesus took hold, healed, and then sent away. And on the Sabbath, Jesus gave the ability to work. Here's my question to you. What might God have in store for you if you were to spend a Sabbath day with Jesus? And I want you to think on that because there's some of you in here who have been carrying certain things for a long time, maybe for a short time, but you've been stuck in an attitude. You've been stuck in a thought process. You've been stuck in a disease. You've been angry. You've been sad. You've been hurt and you carry it. What kind of healing do you think Jesus might have in store for you on the Sabbath? These people didn't go into that Sabbath environment expecting these things to happen. But it happened and it forever changed their life. Like there was a guy who was once blind and he can now see. I wonder what is something that you might be blind to that you simply can't see even though that you have sight. Like some of us, we have this, this problem in our life where I'm going to use this right here. Like, like we've been in it for so long, we're this close to it and you can't see it at all. And you have no idea if it's the size of a post-it note or the size of a poster board. You have no idea. And what might it look like if you were to sit with Jesus and you were to talk to Jesus on your Sabbath about this condition that you just can't see how this thing could ever take place and for Jesus just to begin to pull this thing further and further away from you, and this is as long as my arms go, but to give you perspective on the thing that you simply can't see. And for you to say, whoa, that's not near as big as I thought it was. Well, that's easily able for me to process Or for you to go, that's a big deal. And I'm going to need some help on this one. I mean, but again, I know you don't have time for that. Because you're so busy. But every time that these people slowed down, as it was Jesus' custom and their custom, and they sat with Him, many did remarkable things. Like some of you are just kind of hungry. And I'm not talking about hungry for food. You're just wanting more from God. This is a great thing. The disciples were with Jesus. And you're just maybe wanting more of God. And your tendency, because you want more, it's to do more. And what if I told you and just messed with you? It's not about doing more for God. It's about sitting with Jesus and being still. To be still and know that I am God. Not to be so busy doing good works that you feel good about yourself. I am confident of this. The enemy is a master planner at keeping good people busy doing good things so that they're too tired and burned out to do the very thing that God wants them to do. The enemy is masterful at keeping you so busy doing good, good things that you don't have time to sit with God and allow Him to whisper to your spirit. You just can't. You don't have time for that. Matt, are you asking me to give a day a week to sit with Jesus? No, God's asking you to take a day a week and not work and spend it with Him. There is a day during the week where you shouldn't be able to say, I'm just too busy to read or pray, because that should be the only thing you have time for. If you choose to read your Bible all day long, have a ball. It's your day. But it shouldn't be the day that you say, well, I just didn't get to it. What else did you get to? What else were you so busy doing? Now, listen, we could have the conversation if I said, hey, we're going to do this seven days every day a week. But God says one. Can you carve out one day where you're not so preoccupied with getting stuff done that you can simply spend it with me? What about the person with the shriveled hand? You think they went to synagogue that day expecting to get his hand restored and healed? No, I think he went to synagogue because that's what he did. And he showed up in the temple like he always did, and he heard the scriptures like he always did. But on this day, Jesus catches his eye or notices his hand. And he also notices the heart of the religious elite. 
And they've taken Sabbath and they've made it into all of these things that it's not. I was talking to my buddy Mark George last Monday um, over lunch, and we were, he was talking about when he grew up, he were, his idea of Sabbath that has stayed with him as an adult was that his next-door neighbors who, had, who were his buddies, their dad wouldn't let them go outside and play on Sunday because Sunday was for no fun. Right? And that's what Mark still remembers, that you're not allowed to have fun on the... On now, we, a lot of us grew up where Sunday was the Sabbath, right? And that's a talk for another time, maybe. But it's this idea that, man, we can't do anything good. This guy just went to church that day, went to Sabbath, as was his custom, and Jesus completely changed his life and restored something in his life that was broken. What might Jesus want to restore? Like, I, w- I use the example of your bank account. Because some of you feel like you got holes in your pocket and your bank account is just shriveling, right? It's just like it doesn't work. The budget doesn't work. Your money doesn't work. It's just like the more you get paid, something breaks. And what if, what if when you sit with Jesus and you were to talk to him about your financial woes and you were to begin to understand the biblical generosity principles, how you might see God restore something that has been broken in your life. And you might see not a pastor telling you what to do with your money, but allow Jesus to begin to speak to your life through biblical principles about your money. And you might see your dollars begin to be unshriveled and be able to begin to be extended. And you might be able to be more generous than you've ever been in your entire life. That's just one example. I don't know. But what does God want to restore? What in your life isn't working? Is your relationship not working? Is your job not working? Is your kids uh, driving you crazy? Is your parenting not working? Is their uh, their following mom and dad not working? Like, What's the thing in your life that is shriveled up and not working that Jesus wants to restore? And it's waiting for you on a Sabbath. And you can keep reading every book that you want to read. And you can go to every conference you want to go to. Kind of goes into the next one, right? It's like the guy who has been sick for a long time on a mat. He was expecting some magic water to heal his ailment. Meanwhile, he's got the very God in the flesh standing right beside him. And how many of us keep going to other spiritually minded things, good things, Maybe you're, that's why you're at church this morning, is you're hoping that I say something that's going to impact your life in such a way that drastically changes your life. I hope I'm a part of your story, but here's the deal. I ain't Jesus. I ain't God. And too often, good people, good followers of Jesus, substitute Jesus for hanging out with people that they think hung out with Jesus. I'm not saying don't hang out with people that are walking with Jesus, but don't hang out with me at the expense of not hanging out with him. I use that mama bird metaphor because it works. You guys know what mama, how does a mama bird feed her chicks? She goes and she finds a good juicy worm, right? She plucks that worm out of the the ground and what does she do to that worm? Uh, She chews it and then what does she do? She swallows it. And then she flies back to her nest, right? And what does she do to those little baby chicks? Yeah, regurgitates just a really nice word to say she spits it into their mouth, right? Isn't that a beautiful sight? And one of the things at New City that we want to help you with is that we want you to become self-readers, self-feeders. Because for many of you this morning, that's how you're getting the word this week, is I have digested it, I have chewed it up, and I am spitting it, regurgitating it back into your soul right now. Do you want me to do your coffee and your donut that way? Gross. Gross. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you'd never miss a Sunday. I hope you become an active part of this church family. I don't want you just to come here. I want you to be a part. I want you to serve. I want you to belong. I want you to be a part of this church family. I love this church family. But this church family should never take the place of your relationship with God. And if your reason that you can't pray today and the reason that you can't spend time in the Word is because you went to church, then you know what? I think God would give you some, I'll give you some extra grace and say, stay home and read your Bible and talk to Jesus first. God goes first. God goes first. 
I'm not your magic pull. I might even stir you up this morning. I might even get you all going and trembling. But listen, man, it is the word of God. It is Jesus himself who is the one that says, hey, buddy, pick up your mat and walk. You don't need no magic water. He is the real thing. Amen? Hear that. I want you here. I want you here. But man, what would a church look like like in this city if it's people were people who were sitting with Jesus and coming into worship? You guys saw Kathy Carl in the video this morning. I noticed I was sitting in the back of the room. Kathy's on the back row. And man, I wish she was on the front row the way that she was worshiping. That was a woman who has been with Jesus this week in relationship. And you could tell it by her worship. What does Jesus have in store for you? What, is, what just might it be where Jesus wants to begin to heal you and hug you and love you and encourage you? Like some of you think that God's out to get you. Man, he's not out to get you. Some of you, he's just going to encourage you. Like, do you think the blind man was frustrated at Jesus? I bet he loved Jesus. What about the guy who had the unshriveled hand? You think he was excited about Jesus? What about the guy with dropsy? It says Jesus, it, Jesus didn't even let him stay. He, the guy with dropsy has no idea what message Jesus gave that night. Jesus took hold of him, he healed him, and then he said, go. Man, what might Jesus say to your soul, to your spirit, as he heals your life? Man, what a great God we serve. That not only does he ask us to take a vacation every week, he also meets us on vacation and makes it superb. What a great God we serve. Like, why wouldn't you want to sit with Jesus? You have no idea what he has in store for you. You have no idea what kind of healing he's going to bring to your heart. You have no kind of idea what kind of new insight he's going to give you. You have no idea how he's going to make something that's been broken whole. But like, man, what does it look like just to sit at his feet and say, whoa, what do you have for me? Is he not a good, good father? Right, he is. And he says, man, I want you to take off. And man, I'm going to bless the snot out of you because you ain't never had no daddy like me. You ain't never had no daddy like me. I got two little girls, Allie and Christy, and I got a son, Luke. And if you know me well, you know that I am focused on being a great dad to those kids, right? Which is, duh. We should all have that as fathers. But I want to be a great dad. God is a much better father than I ever could hope to be with my kids. Why are you afraid to sit with him? Some of you... Like that guy with dropsy, his skin was so tight. You know, when you were a kid, you would shake up a soda real good. And like, hey, could you open this? I couldn't get it. Right? You've all done it. You've all done it, right? And it gets all over the person that opens it. Some of you, that's your life right now. Your life is so tight. God help the people that are around you when it gets opened up. Because you, you go all over people. Now, I was taught as a kid that if you took one of those, if you, were, if you thought that somebody might be trying to prank you and they, had, you, they gave you a, sh- a shook-up Mountain Dew, that was my, my, my drink of choice as a kid, that if you took that can and you thumped it a couple times on the head, that that would take away the explosion, right? Now, who's to say that Jesus doesn't need to thump you on the head a couple times? I don't know. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you need to be in the hands of Jesus. Maybe he needs to go, pop, pop, just to get you to chill out a little bit. But here's what we all know about a can that's been shook up too much. How do you open it? Slowly, right? Super slow. Maybe on your side, but Jesus is going to open you up super slow. And he's going to allow that stress and that frustration to out of your life so that people actually like you again. 
and your family loves you again, and your wife or your husband is excited to see you again, and your kids aren't afraid of you and your short temper and attitude. Man, I don't know. But I'm telling you this, man. Everybody on Sabbath is better because they were with Jesus. They were better because they were with Jesus. They were blessed because they were with Jesus. Why in the world would you want to skip that appointment to go on to do other things? I'm going to have the band come on up if you guys would. And Curtis, I'd love for you guys to lead us in rhythm, not out of rhythm, in rhythm to good, good father. And maybe just a chorus or so. But as they're going to lead us in this song, I, if you want to stand and worship, you do that. But if you just need to sit in that chair, maybe bow at that chair and just talk to the Lord. Man, He is good and He loves you. And He is striving to give us His Word so that it can take care of you and it can love you. And if you're disappointed, He can encourage you. And if you hurt, He can help you. And if you're mad, He can calm you. And if you can't see it, you can't figure it out, He can give you sight. But it happens and it starts always at the feet of Jesus. So let me pray for us. And then let's kind of maybe for the first time sing this song without doubts or with, but yeah, God, and just simply trust that He is a good Good Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Oh my goodness. I I mean, didn't even have it prepared to say, but there's not an instance in Scripture where someone approached you on Sabbath or you approached them on Sabbath and life didn't get extremely better for them. You were so good. God, for the person in the room who was scared of you, God, would you just tear that down? Man, you are so good to us, man. You are fantastic. And I love you. Father, I pray if nothing else, but through my life and these words, that people would see, they would taste and see that you are a good, good Father. Jesus, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray and that we sing these words. Amen.